You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to Own the Beat Live, Tuesday's premier sports podcast on InsideCarolina.com. By Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. All right, boys, it's Tuesday. It's rivalry week. I guess it's rivalry week. Seems like it. Feels like it. Uh, Adam, did you get that sense talking to the players today uh, that this is, in fact, a rivalry once again? Absolutely yes, Tommy. Yes. Um, <laughs> Do tell. Yeah, it was it was fun. Uh, I don't know how Ross felt about it, but, um, you know, I always think with, with Carolina, obviously NC State is, is – Carolina's biggest rival in football and always feel like Duke is Carolina's biggest rival in basketball, although the Wolfpack gets super fired up to, to play Carolina over there in Raleigh. But um, it was enjoyable. We talked to – we always talked to a bunch of different players on Tuesday. And talking to Tony Grimes, talking to Noah Taylor, who has yet to play uh, in, a, in a game for Carolina against Duke, although he's played a lot for UVA against Duke. Um, you know, talking to Josh Downs. They were quoting Mac today saying, hey, we're not supposed to lose the Duke. We don't lose the Duke. The victory bell is supposed to stay here. So, yeah, I got, I got, I really got that sense. I don't know about you, Ross. I, I felt like it's enjoyable chats. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know how it was when y'all were in school there, Tommy and Adam, but like UNC always beat Duke. Like this was never, it was never a question. Duke used to suck. And under Cutcliffe, you know, they've gotten better where it's more of a game. Um, obviously, Cutcliffe's gone now. So it's um, it's interesting now with Mike Elko hasn't played pretty well, but like Adam said, like I, I treat uh, NC State as the big rivalry game. This this does seem like the secondary rivalry game, but the victory bell kind of adds a cool little thing. They said that uh, Kevin Donnelly has been ringing it uh, throughout practices and throughout the week, which is kind of cool. Um, what was oh, it? Uh, Josh Downs said he was in the facility late last night and he was ringing it just to kind of see what it felt like. So it is a cool little. Um, part of the rivalry that victory bell thing because they go crazy when they win it especially if the team that lost the last week last year goes over and gets it that's when it gets real wild so I mean, obviously the goal is to, to keep it on unc's side for unc but uh i think it's just an opportunity for unc to notch another win build that coastal lead three and zero in the coastal six and one you know become bulgeable just seven games in season so that's how i think most kind of fans are, are thinking or not fans but Players are kind of just keep this thing rolling, keep stacking these wins. I agree with that part of it. I'll go. I was at a Carolina at forty-one nothing. I was in the oh. stadium when Spurrier um, did his little stunt, and after forty-one nothing, I think Chucky Burnett 
Um, Burlington Cummings. Burlington Chucky Burnett. Chucky Burnett. Uh, threw like six interceptions in that game. And uh, that was uh, the – well, it was the Burnett brothers. You know, you had Burnett with no E and Burnett with one T or some mess like that. But Chucky did not have a good day. Spurrier parks his team under there. I remember that. I was there. I stood there and watched it. Um, so that dates myself. But you're right, Ross. For the most part, Carolina won these games, and they won them for a long time. But they were always pretty close ball games. I mean – 41-40, I think Octavius Barnes had to catch a pass from Mike Thomas and run down the sidelines. We'll at have, Duke, right? Yeah. At Duke. We'll have yeah. Dan Orner um, on the Inside Carolina Live show this weekend. I mean, everybody knows that game. He busted the helmet, uh, the inflatable helmet out there, and uh, created a stir. That was the the first uh, Mia Copa by Carolina, uh, if y'all remember the locker room. The locker room deal was – that wasn't too terribly long ago when Bubba had to come out off some cash for replacing the locker room. But, but as far as to Ross's point, Adam, and let's get in here on this first, and then we'll talk about Duke a little bit more. Carolina can get bowl eligible after last season's six wins, and it was an ugly six wins for the most part. They can be bowl eligible if they handle business on October the whatever to mid-October. October the 15th, they can be all eligible. That's pretty impressive for a team – coming off a season like they did last year. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, it's something Ross I, – I know Ross mentioned it because it's something we he and I have been talking about, uh, you know, since we came back from Miami. You know, like uh, UNC, if you beat Duke, you're not only 3-0 and in the ACC, you're, you've won three games against the Coastal. You know, like you're already three games up in the division. And, yeah, to what you're saying, Tommy, I mean, I felt like I think what – I'm going to try to write for in somewhere in countdown to kickoff is that I felt like last season, um, you know, you open the season UNC at Virginia tech and you lose uh, to start the season. You're 0 one in the league. I felt like they were always trying to climb out of a hole in the, in the league. They got the one and one after they beat Virginia, they go lose at Georgia tech. You're one and two, you know, I, I think the FSU loss in Chapel Hill dropped them to two and three in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's just always like they just they, they never were in a position like they are now to where they can, um, you know, sort of have a lead and be looking down at everyone else in the division. You're right about that. And I, my printer's over here going off. So if anybody hears that, I'm sorry. My son's printing his Carolina application. Wow. Um, the timing. So, yeah, perfect timing. Uh, right now, when I'm trying to do a radio show, but I can't get mad about that. Uh, it's due on the 15th, so he's got to get it done, and he wants us to look at it. But anyway, Ross, uh, Mac talks about – they talked about beating Duke and all. How do you think Mac feels? You've covered Mac for a while um, here. How do you think Mac feels about these in-state games? He always preaches that in-state championship, right? Is he doing that again this year? You know, I don't think we've heard him mention that. That's interesting. But maybe something he mentions on Wednesday. Wednesday is kind of when the the – week turns to, to the next game to the Duke game. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they got what they already beat to app state. Uh, they got Duke, they got wake, they got NC state. So they have a chance to, you know, to, to win the state if they, if they win all those games, um, but he has not brought that up yet, but this is, I mean, this is a big game. I mean, this is coastal game. This is a chance to, to beat your rival, your secondary rival in football. Um, and I think, I mean, I think in terms of just broader things, this is a game you should win. If, <laughs> If you're trying to compete with Clemson and Florida State, you know, and, and Tennessee and South Carolina and all those big kind of regional schools, you don't lose to Duke. 
Like, that's why losing Georgia Tech last year was so bad. That's why losing to App State in 2019 was so bad. Mac Brown wants to get his program where he wants to get it. Uh, you can't be losing to Duke. You shouldn't be losing to Wake, even though Wake is very, very good. Um, it's just kind of – if UNC wants to be that upper echelon, you know, top 25 program year in, year out, you can't lose these – so, you know, these kind of lesser opponents. Mac yeah. has won 11 straight games against Duke, by the way. Duke. I don't know if I should save that for a stat, but – He's eleven and zero in his last eleven against the Dukies. Three no, three no. He's given back too. Yeah, I mean obviously. Yep, and then he won all of them after the '89 photo game. I mm-hmm. think he taught somebody a lesson. Uh, Adam, how important for confidence purposes is this game for the defense? Uh, Duke's going. Duke can do some things on offense. I mean, they've got a quarterback that's pretty good running the football. Um, I mean, it's another step in the right direction this team needs to make, right? Can you call it strength on strength after what we've seen from <laughs> from UNC's defense the last two weeks? Is that just like the biggest – is that a hot take? I don't know if uh, producer John has flames that he can throw in there. But, uh, I mean, Duke Duke's off to a 4-2 and two start. Uh, they're, ooh, look at this. Look at the production value. <laughs> Comments are going to go crazy now. Uh, no. Nah. Um Duke's off to a four and two start. They only won three games last year under uh, in Cutcliffe's last year. They've already exceeded their win total, um, and they are one of the better teams in the ACC here in the early going of the season. Running the ball, I believe they're fourth in the league in rushing. They have three backs they've featured. Riley Leonard, the quarterback for Duke, is a threat. He um, his rushing numbers are similar to Drake May's rushing numbers, like just in, in terms of the, the the actual numericals. You know, I don't know if he gets them the same way Drake does, but um, that's what Duke relies on so far uh, in the Mike Elko uh, regime is, is, is running the ball on offense. And the last two games, as we have documented, not to beat a dead horse, but, I mean, UNC held Virginia Tech under 100 yards. UNC absolutely smothered Miami last week uh, down in – in Miami Gardens, 41 rushing yards for the game, I believe it was, seven in the second half. Now, Tyler Van Dyke did throw for nearly 500, but um, it's like Max said the other day, we've wanted to be good at something. And for two games here in the ACC, the Carolina's defense has been good stopping the run. We mentioned uh, Mike Elko. Let, let's cue it up here a little bit. Let's get into story time at, at the top in the first segment of this show. Ross, I want to hear. I want to hear the story again. You getting to meet Mike Elko at ACC Media Days, I believe. Can you tell us that story? I believe the Mr. Buck Sanders featured that story in a column on Monday. I uh, didn't get to read it all, but I was told about it. And there was a little bit uh, misrepresentation there. This was ACC Football Media Day. I was leaving with intern Grant, maybe just by myself. And I saw, who's the SID over there, Adam? Um, the main SID. It do. Yeah. Oh, uh, Art Chase is that? Yeah, who Art Chase, who great guy. Um, His wife lets, works at UNC. <laughs> oh yeah, he lets us play basketball. We do a basketball media day at Duke. He's a great guy. He's very funny. So I was talking to Art Chase. Introduced myself to Mike Elko. I go, hey, Coach Elko, nice to meet you. I cover UNC, and he was very dismissive of that. He's oh, he said, oh, great, or like, uh, or no, 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 he said, good for you. <laughs> and, and look, I wasn't trying to brag or anything. You know, I was, hey, man, I cover the you know rival team. Down, down the road from you, you know, there's a good chance, you know, I'll see you here and there. But uh, that was my first interaction with 
Coach Mike Elko. Let's see how long he stays in Durham. And Rock. you said it, Rolf. Did you say it very earnestly, or was there any sarcasm in your voice? I mean, you're acting like he just like. No, it was just. I was like, look, I cover. I was like, hey, I cover Carolina, cover UNC. You know, your I guess your rival. You know, wasn't trying to make a big deal about it. I don't. I'm not trying to like pick a fight with him. Hey, man, I cover your. I mean, I was just like, <laughs> it was very. And then you know, he had a little side comment. And you would think, you know, he's a man of higher stature. You know, have you know, he should. He's a head coach. Should it? I mean, I'm a mere beat reporter for. a internet website uh there's no need for him to try to big time me you know uh, whatever <laughs> he seems like a meathead i don't know what y'all think but he's got things turned around there i'm impre- i've been impressed i mean is, uh, that, is that bulletin board material a little bit for you are you gonna work a little bit harder this week you know knowing that he slighted you like that i always bring 110 <laughs> percent. i can't you, work any harder are you gonna go over there to media basketball day when y'all play and you're just going take somebody out and say that's for mike elko that's right. <laughs> we haven't done that for a while since covid so yeah covid shut that one down that is uh maybe it'll come back maybe that'll come back it was always funny to for me to see those pictures and hear those stories of you guys over there having the the media basketball days uh adam to your point about elko um and to ross's point meathead or whatever he can coach football he's mm-hmm. been pretty successful um wherever he's been um, Carolina and Longo have history. Uh, all these coaches have history with all other coaches, the way it's all um, cross-pollinated, I'll use that word, um, in the college coaching ranks. But Texas A&M in the Orange Bowl. Uh, Longo talked about that a little bit, but do things like that carry over? I mean, can, can he do at Duke what he was doing at Texas A&M, given the athletic difference of those rosters? I mean, yes and no. <laughs> like, I mean, he sure can try. Who knows if he can accomplish it? But, I mean, I think what's what's far more valuable to Phil Longo, not to speak for the uh, cowboy boot-wearing Phil Longo, but, um, you know, he was talking to us the other day just about, you know, the, it, it's interesting when we talk to uh, the coordinators, you know, Gene Chizik and Phil Longo on Mondays, because you can tell that they have just crawled out of watching a lot of film on the opponent that they are preparing to play here at the start of the week. And uh, Phil was talking to us about just the angles and the the way he could tell Duke is playing under Elko just by the angles they're taking in, in making tackles. And, uh, you know, he was saying, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was saying the effort sort of jumps off the tape a little bit. So I think that – I mean, I think Duke's first six games are far more valuable – to uh to feel longer than than the orange bowl of 2020 um you know and i think it's interesting to hear the way that that carolina is talking about duke you're always respecting your opponent uh during the week but um the players said today that you know these guys have played against duke that it's a different kind of duke team and uh there's a there's an edge and maybe more of a hunger to them than they've seen the last couple of years and you know that's what you want to hear when you make a coaching change you know you want to you want to that's what you want to inject so um it's been interesting hearing them talk about what they're seeing out of duke this version of duke yeah one thing to note uh not only do they play in the orange bowl i imagine they went against each other phil longo and mike elko no, in no. texas a&m in 2018 because longo was at Ole miss and elko was the dc at texas a&m in 2018 so, um, they would have played each other, right? Elko okay. obviously was at Wake too, but I mean, I know Longo was not at. Yeah, yet. so they they played twice. They played in eighteen at Ole Miss versus Texas A and M, 
and they played in 2020 Texas A&M versus UNC. Um, so yeah, interesting. He was at Notre Dame too there for a brief for, one year, for, for one year. in 17. Yeah, he's been around. Yeah. Um, had some pretty good success. If he can make Duke football relevant, and I know Duke, you know, played Texas A&M in whatever bowl game not too terribly long ago, um, and, and and all that stuff. But if he can make Duke relevant, um, he earns every dime he made. But Ross, to your points, how long he stick around trying to make them relevant? It's kind of like the Kansas coach Leopold. How long <laughs> does he stay there making those teams relevant before somebody comes calling? Uh, Ross, let's Gene Chizik. Another one of those days where Gene Chizik was in a good mood. And and what I liked about your questions and some other questions is they stopped the run, yeah. But, damn, 500 yards? Seriously? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I think Miami abandoned. But what you take away from Chizik talking about that and Mac talking about that? I mean, they and, and I guess rightfully so, maybe. They were kind of giddy. <laughs> that they'd stop the run in those games. I'm thinking Tyler Van Dyke just just threw for 500. Yeah, I mean that's obviously not pretty, and, and you know I'm sure they're not super proud about that number. But look, I think the big thing to point out here, you know, taking this question in a little bit different direction, is, is they made timely plays and timely stops. That's kind of the bend don't break. You know, they they uh, what the the uh, four, uh, goal end stand, so it's third and one, fourth and one. So they drive that whole field, so they get all those yards, and then UNC stops them for zero points. And then UNC drives 99 yards, a uh, huge momentum shift, um, as, as we've been we've recounted um, in articles and podcasts this week. Another good example is the fumble, forced fumble by Cedric Gray, recovered by Geo Biggers. Um, you know, they're, gonna, they're almost going to score. They're within the 20-yard line. They got a fourth and one conversion of a nine, 10-yard gain. Cedric Gray knocks it out. So they drive all those yards. They get, what, you know, 80 yards or so. And then they come up with zero points in UNC. I think that's when UNC's drive started. The eight eight twenty one drive started right there uh, to kind of seal the win, or at least attempt to seal the win. So this is what Jeff Schottner told us there uh, last week on uh, calling the shots. It's a bend don't break defense that focuses on red zone defense, and that um, the most important number is the score. So yeah, I mean, stop one thing, and they did that. And so you're forcing a team to pass. And I would much rather stop the run. Um, and force them to throw the ball. It's a much harder play. I think it's much harder with, with quarterbacks these days to, to, you know, hit on passes, on passes, on passes. It's a really good quarterback. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I got. I mean, like, they're stopping the run, and you got to give them credit for that. Like, back-to-back games, they'll look to do it again against Duke. Yeah, I, I mean, to be able to do it, to be able to only give up 24 points after somebody throws for 500 is the exact definition of the bend-don't-break defense. John, what you got? Yeah, I'm going to pose a question here. I want everyone in the comments to answer, as well as you, Tommy. I'm going to flip things around. So we're halfway through the season. How do we feel about the North Carolina defense? Do you feel confident in this unit at this point? Have you seen enough to sort of raise your expectations from what you saw over the first three games, or are you still in a prove-it stage for them? Uh, to Ross's point, the goal is to win the game, right? And they they seem to have made a decision – to stop the run, I, I think Duke will show us a lot more because Duke's going to try to run it, whether it's the quarterback running it or the running backs running it. Um, if they can lock down Duke's rushing defense, say 150 yards or less, then I will believe totally that they've improved the run defense. Pass defense, you know, that's, that's tough to that's, that's tough to uh, think a lot about. I mean, but to Ross's point as well, um, it, 
timely plays matter. And Chiswick wants to play this bend, don't break, keep it all in front of you. And if teams are going to mess up, then take advantage of it. And Carolina's done that. I mean, they're five and one. They've got a chance to go six and one. So the numbers speak for themselves. Personally, I don't care if they're a hundred and or 290th in defense behind every FBS team, every FCS team, and a couple of D2 teams if they're winning ball games, right? So is it going to be a situation where they can get it done against Duke? Because I think Duke will – they will not stop trying to run it because the quarterback runs it so well. And Van Dyke didn't do that. Yeah. I'll bring Andrew in the Young next. said that, yeah. I, I think the key here is they're improving. I think a lot of people are saying that in the comments. They're improving. They're getting better. That's all you can ask for right now. They're winning games and improving. Um, and I, I'm going to – you know, I'm still not sold in defense. I'll wait until after Duke and after Pitt. I think we'll know after those two games. There are two, I think, a little bit tougher tests. And I think at that point, you're like, all right, this defense is is, is a is going up, and they're keeping – they're going to get better and better. I think UVA won't be much of a test either. And so I think that you show it, you know, what's a trend, you know, after two or three games, you kind of see a trend. And I, I think that's where we can kind of make a good decision on this team. And then look, it's gonna be tough against Wake and NC State, not to look too far ahead, but I need at least one more game to kind of see if this is, is truly how it's going to be for the run defense. I think you're right, Tommy. I mean, the pass defense is might need a couple of new safeties to, to, to fix that, and you know. Maybe go by the frat house and get a, a, a couple guys to play safety. Might be a little better than what they have right now, or maybe when Jacoris Conley comes back. So we'll that's see. a that's a perfect segue. There we go. I saw question. the question too. This is perfect for Adam as well. This is has Adam written all over it. Adam, <laughs> what is the latest on JQ Conley, and could he factor in this weekend? One add on to what everyone is saying. I mean, this defense is not going to be the 85 Bears guys. I don't think that, I don't think that we're waiting another week just to see. I mean, you know, like everyone should be happy that they're winning the games. You know, like uh, I don't think that the Ray Lewis and the Ravens are going to walk through the door after the bye week when they play Pitt. Um, so, you know, I, I think Carolina's still going to need Drake May to win a lot of these games. Um, but if the defense can can come up with some of these timely stops like they have been. I think I think that's the recipe for this UNC team. Uh, Kay Mays and Brian Simmons and Brandon Spoon are they're you know, they're my age. Um, but so anyway, yes, to answer Phil Bowen's question, um, you know, like who – I guess Geo Biggers loses snaps. Is that uh, – you know, he's been starting. You got Cam Kelly and Geo Biggers at the safety spots and DeAndre Boykins, who is, uh, who is coming on. Um, you know, at the star position, uh, playmaker. I mean, he's as Ross and I talked the other day. You feel like Boykins is a playmaker up the middle, just like Cedric Gray and, and Power Eccles are. Um, you know, it, Conley didn't make the trip to Miami. Um, I do not know if we'll see him at Duke. I don't know if Ross has any intel on that. It feels like, you know, after this week, after that, Carolina plays Duke, you have the second bye comes, they catch the second bye, and then October 29th, you come back and you play Pitt. It feels like to me that Pitt on the 29th is a target day. Um, you know, you return to practice. Uh, Conley did last week, uh, practicing for the first time since, you know, last November uh, before he suffered the knee injury against Wofford, before he had the surgery. Um, so, I mean, he is a guy that they certainly can use. I'm sure you agree with that, Ross. I mean, like they, I mean, they need, they need playmakers back there and he can help them. Yeah, I mean, I think he is going. I think he is well on the way to being cleared to play. Um, a little sourced intel there for you. I don't know if he'll play against Duke, but um, 
I mean, I, and I think UNC, I mean, I think Jeremy Sharp might be listening right now, but they're being very cautious. I don't want to get fans all excited. I'm not sure if they're going to play him against Duke. I think he will be available. I think if you went to practice right now, you would see him out there, you know, running with the, the, the 11 on 11, I believe. But it, it takes game speed so much different than practice speed. Um, and look, having play, having not played the game, you can take my word for it. Um, so that was, that was a joke. Laugh. Uh, who, who was the politician that said clap? Now you can clap. Jeb Bush. Um, yeah, Jeb Bush. Yeah. Please clap. <laughs> Please clap. Um, One of my. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think I think yeah. Pitt will be great. I think Pitt will be great, Adam. You know, you get two more weeks. You get the bye week. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll see him against Duke. But the path is there, and I think. Conley may not be the best in in terms of pass coverage and what he can do uh, in terms of breaking up passes and tracking, but he is a big hitter in run defense. He is a big physical guy who can be the kind of third linebacker, come up and run support. And so, of course, he's going to be – maybe you go a little three safeties, you kind of rotate him in and out and, and, and work it. I mean, Conley, look, on paper, Conley is a lot better than Geo Biggers um, and even Cam Kelly. The guy was a, a top 100 recruit, I believe. Yeah, and you got – I mean – Boykins is sort of playing the JQ role right now, right? He, he's uh, well, and- well, Boykin, yeah, Conley played the nickel at one point, but then he got moved to safety. He's kind of back and forth, and and Boykins plays a pure nickel. So um, I think he last year he was at mostly safety, um, but yeah, Boykins has stepped up. I mean, it's good to mention him, Tommy, because he's been a playmaker for UNC. I mean, I think he's one of the best defenders on the team right now. He is. I think mean, the coaching Absolutely. staff will say that. So yeah, and they're he's both thumbers. The, he's one so. of the most valuable players on that defense. I feel like. Uh, absolutely, I, I think Conley. I, I don't see much reason to play him against Duke. Um, you know, they're going to play him when he's ready. But having two more weeks after that makes most sense to yeah. get him back for Pitt if that if that's what happens. Um, I tell you what, he he's going to have some pressure, not necessarily from his team or his teammates, but the fan base, specifically the inside Carolina fan base on the message boards. They have waited for Conley to come back. So I bet you, I bet you, Mr. Conley has answered the question more than any question he's ever seen in his life is when is JQ coming back? When is he coming back? When is he coming back? What's he going to do? And, and so his return is anticipated, but I don't think it's necessary um, this week and certainly not with a buy after it. Uh, and one guy that I think has stepped up, and I do want to mention him because I did listen to his audio or, or his YouTube. And remind folks, I'm going to remind folks, take care, uh, check the Inside Carolina YouTube channel. You see all these press conferences and all, but they're great to watch on the YouTube channel. And one guy, Adam, and I'll start with you here, is Will Hardy. I mean, that 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 guy was a, a last-minute recruit, a last, I guess a flip from Virginia, or he, mm-hmm. he committed to Carolina over Virginia. Uh, I mean, he stepped up. He did not look good against App. He talked about getting that those reps against App and how they've helped him. He has been uh, pretty pretty effective in the last couple of weeks, and he's getting more and more stat- snaps and put in situations where he's having to cover some of the best in the game, some of the best in the ACC and Mallory and the kid from Notre Dame. So uh, what you glean from him today? He, he certainly appeared older than his age. Yeah, I believe he was a three-star, wasn't he, Ross? I mean, he wasn't – Yeah, yeah. Will Hardy was a three-star, which – I mean, he it certainly didn't come in with the biggest rep. Um, but, yeah, Tommy, we asked – I asked him today, like I always enjoy asking those guys questions, like what was your welcome to – what was your welcome to college football moment, you know? And uh, he said the Appalachian State game 
with the number of people that were in there and how it obviously went sideways for UNC there late. Uh, and then, of course, the second thing he mentioned, because you know, I, I know Ross was thinking it as, as we talked to him about it, was, you know, we're all of us were there for the Notre Dame game in Chapel Hill, and you look up on, I think it was a key third down early in the game, and Michael Mayer, the All-American tight end, is hauling in a pass for Notre Dame, and we were like, who is 31? Oh, yeah, Will Hardy is 31. That's who's that's who's defending, uh, you know, one of their top weapons here. So it was great getting to talk to him today. I always enjoy talking to these guys we haven't talked before. Um, you know, he seems like a wonderful guy. Coach's son out of Georgia, although his dad coached the offensive side of the ball. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, hey, when Tyler Van Dyke throws the ball, what, 57 times a game, I think it was, the dime package is going to be on the field a lot for UNC. So, you know, if you got somebody chucking it around like that, he's going to be out there running around a lot. You know, he comes on and power echoes usually goes off, and uh, that's how they usually play the obvious passing downs. Yeah. Adam, love talking Will Hardy. You know, real gym rat, first in, last out, you know, uh, smart guy, you know, coach's son, gritty. <laughs> Sneaky you know, fast, sneaky fast, sneaky athletic, you know, <laughs> high IQ, all those things. Bro. I like talking to all the guys. I just yeah, never I talked to Will Hardy before. Yeah, it is good hearing these new guys. I mean, look, he could be a starting safety for UNC um, after this year, maybe for the next three years. Um, one, one little plug here. It's interesting. You know, Don Callahan on the Weekly Scoop does the red shirt counter. Uh, and we talk about that on the, on the Scoop podcast today. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives you a glimpse of which true freshman obviously you're playing. And, you know, seven guys who burned their redshirt already. And Will Hardy's one of them. Malachi Hamrick, who's in that dime package. Travis Shaw, um, both running backs, obviously. So it's kind of an interesting look at which freshman you thought were going to play and, and maybe not redshirt versus the ones that actually are playing. You know, Will Hardy might be one of those guys that we did not expect to play as much and who is clearly not redshirting this year. Let's get in. Somebody on the message board thread – um, said the the red lettering around the live on our logo is unacceptable. Um, could this person please send a note to Wells Fargo for their red ads in the Dean Dome, and I will I will gladly <laughs> accept hearing that. Now, folks are hardcore. Um, what about my out, red shirt? Should I be uh, concerned here? Oh, you need to zip that up. Shout out to uh, Michelle Hillison for doing all our graphics here. She is a wonderful, wonderful person to put up with all our quirks and all that. Ross, do your blue shark, and then I'll do Johnny T-shirt, and then we'll get to all the questions. All right. Blue shark vodka, one of the sponsors of the Inside Carolina podcast and the presenting sponsor of Calling the Shots every Monday morning. Smoothest vodka in the world, blue shark vodka. Shout out to uh, Connor Barth down there in Wrightsville Beach, part owner of Blue Shark Vodka, um, you know, supporting us, supporting these local independent companies just like them. They're available. Uh, Blue Shark Vodka is available in all 100 counties at the local ABC stores. A couple cities in South Carolina, Las Vegas, San Diego. So pick up a bottle. It's an accessible price point. Great for tailgating. Great for the house. It's a good, you know, vodka to have on whenever you want to make a, a simple, easy drink. Blue Shark Vodka, North Carolina owned. The smoothest vodka in the world. Tommy. Yeah, and I, I need Ross to share some of those uh, recipes that you were talking about on a couple of these podcasts. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, sponsors, longtime sponsors of these podcasts and friends of Inside Carolina. Look, I'm going to be in Chapel Hill more often, uh, so I'm going to be going to Johnny T-Shirt and getting their stuff. And I'm going to be using Inside Carolina discount as well. Uh, 
it's 10% if you're a premium subscriber. And you get sweatshirts like Ross Martin is showing off right there. The crew neck sweatshirt is getting a little nippy outside. Uh, this perfect time to go visit them at Johnny T-Shirt. Jerseys, sweatshirts, sweatpants, hats. You need hats if you got these bald heads. If your hair's like Ross, you don't need it. If your hair's like Adam and myself, you need hats. Uh, they've got you covered. First purchase ever had from Johnny T-Shirt, some Ray-Ban sunglasses. I don't think they carry them anymore, but I uh, got me some Tom Cruises back in 1989 at Johnny T-Shirt and T-Shirt.com. Take a short break. Audio version, National Guys Pay the Bills on the Beat Live. It's about 9.32 on the East Coast. We'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, boys, let's get to some questions. I'm going to let John Bowman, producer John. Do you prefer John B., producer John, Mr. Bowman, John? I mean, how do you want to be addressed here? Because we need to get this right. I like I like producer John because it's kind of my persona. For you shifted for you shifted your Twitter account to that too. Exactly, yes. I don't want people to be able to Google me who might also work with me. So that's that's good. It's, it's, a, it's a layer <laughs> of security there. I've got a great question here. I really like this one. John. I'm going to get better at reading them out for people who are listening to the audio version. So this is from ETG22. Shouldn't the coaches go back to using all the running backs again? I think it's an interesting question because we've heard they've condensed the running back room down, but there still hasn't been that running back who's sort of taken over. Do you think it's time for maybe DJ, DJ Jones or maybe even George Petaway to get a shot at some carries against Duke? Adam? I mean, George Petaway didn't play at Miami. He didn't play a snap. Um, and I was just – I enjoyed uh, the name Duffed Wedge in the comments. That excellent, excellent uh, account name over there. How about the guy – how about Dale Pellel who said, my yeah. wife's boyfriend loves Blue Shark Vodka. That's great. That's, Dale Pellel, you gave me a laugh on that yeah, one. That was funny. Uh, that was a good one. We need to highlight that one. Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold he's on. got it. It's oh, up. there's Duffed Oh, Wedge. there it is. As I, as I say, his name he, – he appears as I say his name. <laughs> I think it, it, right Adam, on. focus back up, Adam. Oh, focus, sorry, focus. sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, look, it's that's I, I don't see that happening. I mean, um, they have they they want two guys. They've been using two guys more and more. I mean, if you look at the the distribution uh, against Miami, you know, it's Caleb Hood. I think he had 13 carries. Omarion Hampton had 15 carries. No one else carried the ball, I don't think, other than Drake May. I don't think DJ Jones – DJ Jones only played four snaps, I believe, at Miami. He may have had a carry, but I might have missed that if he did. I mean, they want two guys. That They want a feature – as Phil Longo says, we want a feature and we want a major in two guys. <laughs> and uh, that's what they're doing. Uh, Caleb Hood has started the last two 
games. He started the last two second halves. Caleb Hood is, by all accounts, their starting running back. And Omarion Hampton, they're bringing in as their second back. Obviously, he's a, he's a good guy near the goal line. Mack made a point of saying it was one of the best four-yard runs he'd ever seen in his life of how Omarion Hampton got hit initially at Miami and spun into the end zone with the extra effort. Um, you know, I think Caleb Hood is coming off uh, a nicely well-rounded performance. He had the five catches out of the backfield. Um, so uh, I personally, I you know, I will never be confused for an offensive coordinator, but I I think that George Petaway should be more involved in uh, – I think they should use – his obvious attributes, but they know way more than I do. And he's being used less and less. DJ Jones is being used less and less. Yeah. I think the one thing here that a lot of fans are worried about, I mean, look at the comments yet is the fear of Petaway transferring. Um, you know, I, what'd you say? I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah. I don't think so either, but I mean, that's, you know, they're going to have British Brooks come back next year. Like what it's yep. a, it, somebody's in transfer. Um, and with that talent, you know, you know, you'd think you'd stay and, and fight for reps and I think he's good enough to play at UNC and, and, and start at UNC. But I, I agree with Adam. Like, it'd be nice. I mean, obviously, I agree with Adam. Like, Hood's the starter. Hampton seems to be getting – splitting reps. But um, bring Petaway on on a couple, you know, unique plays. They get him the ball in space. I also would like um, – I think you need to use Josh Downs in different ways, too. We always heard about him, you know, coming in the backfield on jet sweeps. Dude, he is the best player on the field. Get Josh Downs the ball in more ways. I mean, he should have 10 – 15 touches a game whether it's short passes like he's i think he needs to get the ball more not just passing um routes like use him more in the backfield yeah i think that's a great point i, uh, I don't i don't disagree here's caleb caleb hood is the starting running back to your point adam i mean he's the guy if anybody watches the miami game and says he shouldn't be the guy what they should play some more running backs they didn't watch the same game i watched but the only issue with hood is can he stay healthy uh, i mean is he getting truly dinged up, or is he is he one of those guys that's not used to to dealing with pains and all that stuff? I mean, he's obviously tough. He, he's obviously a, a, a pounder in there, but can he stay healthy enough to stay on the field all the time? Hampton had a bad injury in high school, but he's pretty durable. You got to have these other guys. I mean, we're going – I think Petaway's got a role. I, I certainly think he does. But it's a crowded room, and you can't argue with the results, I don't think. I was, saying to, Ross, I was saying to Ross when they sort of told us, um, you know, before the Virginia Tech game that we'd like to just feature two guys, we'd like to, to pair that rotation down. I just said to Ross, does that mean George Petaway is redshirting? You know, like that's – that. I don't know why that struck me. I was like, well, maybe they're – are they going to redshirt George Petaway? Then he played against Virginia Tech. Yeah, so, I think yeah. he's played five games, right? Yeah. Right, but like when they said that, it was after four games. It was after mm -hmm. the Notre Dame. It was between Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Well, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking next year. Yeah, I mean, you bring Brooks Brooks back. I mean, who whose snaps is he taking? Is he taking Hampton snaps? So I don't know. I mean, I said. I mean, I'll speak freely here. I told Adam like, man, at some point the staff's gonna be like Brooks, man. We don't need you. I mean, he's great. He's great and all, but uh, I, it's tough to say because I, I mean, he's apparently really, really good. We just haven't seen it yet, and the, the injury sucks. But if you want to, you know, get Hampton developed and get Petaway developed, and um, and then you know, you would think that those two guys would be your main guys moving forward. Oh, sorry, and Hood. I mean, those are three guys right there. That he's a sophomore. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, you, got, you got to think Elijah Green. If I was him, I would transfer, or maybe just stay Carolina and be a team player and get your degree and move on with life. There's always yeah. that side too. 
I mean, nowadays you can get your degree and then go and play. And what Jay Schroeder had four years of eligibility mm -hmm. after yeah. he graduated from Carolina, and Cade Fortin, he's been at every school in the Southeast. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, I heard him talking about. Speaking of that, I heard him talking about Cade Fortin, and they were like, "Yeah, he transferred to Carolina." What they didn't mention is Malik Hornsby, their other quarterback that finally played, was a Carolina commit at a Arkansas. Time. Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. So, John B., what you got? What's next? This is an interesting one. Will the tight ends be more of a factor this week? This is from Adrian Archer. They've presented matchup problems for other teams this season. Do you think UNC can utilize their tight ends well against Duke? Uh, against Miami, Miami made a concerted effort to prevent those guys from playing. Morales had two catches for 21, Nesbitt one for 22, and Copenhaver did not scratch. Ross, I mean, we've talked about the tight ends all year. I would think the athleticism that that trio brings is something Duke would have yeah, big-time I mean, trouble with. Look, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know the whole defensive roster that Duke's going to do, nor their defensive alignment. But you would think those are UNC's three best offensive players. I mean, top five, six pass catchers. So, yeah, they're going to be a factor. I mean, I think um, Drake May loves to go into Morales and, uh, and Nesbitt. I mean, Nesbitt was the guy on one of the interceptions, I think, that – Drake Mick missed. So, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a it's an easy answer. Of course, they're going to be a huge part of the offense moving forward. They have been. They will be. I think they'll be more of a factor this week if Drake May makes them more of a factor. I mean, I think he's I think he's proven that he's going to mostly throw it to the open guy. I mean, how, how spoiled have we been watching Drake May when he throws two picks at Miami and everybody's kind of like, oh, that was his worst game. I mean, the guy's only thrown three all year. Um you know, like what, 21 touchdown passes and three picks? Is that what it is? Something like that. Mm -hmm. so, um, pretty nice little ratio. <laughs> um, you know, more than seven to one. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think there'll be a factor if, if you know, if they're open. I mean, I think that's the thing about Drake is he, he, he finds the open man and he gets the ball there, you know. And uh, the pass distribution is always interesting to watch with him because he keeps it spread around for the most part. Let me let me ask one of these questions here, John. Let me get in and steal one of the questions from you. I'm going to throw it up here because this is relevant in Duke, uh, playing Duke. With everybody's confidence level that we, Carolina, can actually stop the running quarterback. Bateman never could. And, and I know it wasn't a, a Bateman thing, but uh, what's the quarterback that uh, went sixth to the Giants? Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones went sixth to the Giants because of what he did to Carolina um in durham on that day i think he had like 500 lamar armstrong tight is this is what i mentioned earlier about this the run defense and ross we can get back into it briefly to answer this question this is where my concern lies can they straight up stop straight up running backs yes they've done that the last two weeks can can they stop them when they add in that factor did chizik talk about that at all um and, and talk about riley leonard at all in in uh, monday's press conferences Yes, absolutely he did. Yeah, I mean – oh, I'm sorry, was that Ross's question? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Y'all are together, beat right. writers. Yeah, I mean, he absolutely taught – they – they, you know, he's a part of the – he's an element of their running game. He's their second-leading rusher, Riley Leonard, the quarterback. Um, and the guy that leads them, Jalen, somebody, his last name's escaping me. I mean, he he didn't play against Georgia Tech last week uh, due to injury. So, we'll, we'll see what his status is for UNC. But they were without him, their leading rusher. Um, but they got three backs, and they have a fourth if you count Riley Leonard, the quarterback, in there. That's what they 
They use him as an active part, and um, he's been producing. And yeah, Chizik absolutely talked about him uh, as part of their running game. It's the hardest thing to defend a running quarterback. I mean, that's why Drake Mays had so much success because you have everybody covered, and the one guy sneaks out. And if he's athletic, it's the toughest thing to defend. And so I think, of course, Duke will utilize it. It'll be tough. You guys, why you got to have Power Eccles and Cedric Gray and and Boykins kind of on their P's and Q's to to stop that. Uh, I I just remember. (laughs) Flashbacks. Remember Daniel Jones running all over UNC in 2016. A very, very bad loss for the Tar Heels there in that year. Yeah, we like talked a lot about it. Parlayed yeah. it into a six round, a six pick to the Giants. <laughs> Former walk on Daniel Jones. He's a walk on it, dude. Wow. Go ahead, John. Yeah, we talked a lot about red zone defense too. Leonard has four rushing touchdowns. You could see that perhaps factor in this weekend as well you know think about Miami if they had had that extra threat uh, in the red zone that might have changed things Mm -hmm. you know something interesting about Duke's running games they have three Moores Jacquez Moore Terry Moore and Jordan Moore that all will likely get snaps Uh, but Riley Leonard leads them and all let's go to another question let's see here Uh, Jack ask ask A-S-H-A-S-Q Damn, I can't spell either. Ross, will continue? Will UNC continue to run the young DL early? Rotate the DL early. I can't read this, man. It's moving around on my screen. Chiz said they did it for Miami because of the humidity. Is that a thing now, do you think, Ross, for this defense? Adam wrote a great piece this morning about it. Oh, um, see, I haven't read thank it. You, so, Adam, you that's your question. UNC wrote 12 – oh, sorry. UNC rolled out 12 defenders, defensive linemen, Against Miami, you know, three of those are the Jacks, uh, which we consider kind of part of the defensive line. Uh, I think there's no reason uh, to think they want to do that. Keep doing it. I don't think weather really plays that factor. I think it's about keeping them fresh. And we saw Kedrick Bingley-Jones. We call, we saw Keyshawn Silver, I think, for maybe one of the first few snaps in, in that goal line jumbo package where they had like six or seven defensive linemen on there. So, yeah, I think it's great. I think Mac I made a great point on Monday, and, and Adam can elaborate, but – you know, you put a couple players out there, they make a play, it gives them some confidence, it keeps them engaged, they practice better if they know they're going to play. And so if they perform and they produce, they, they deserve more snaps. And without Rayva Hasek, a guy like Travis Shaw, Keyshawn Silver, Kedrick Bingley-Jones, KJ Hester become way more important. So I think certain situations you play Keyshawn Silver, um, certain situations you play Travis Shaw, and you just rotate him in and out. Adam, elaborate. I'm, I'm looking at your story, and I'm going to plug it. If you're Good. on Inside Carolina, check out Adam's story on the defensive line. It's a very in-depth, detailed story with some great comments after it on the message board. Praying hands emoji. Praying hands emoji. Um, to answer Jack's question, I mean, yeah, wh- I would keep doing it. Like, I mean, I feel like that's the template. You know what I mean? Like, Ross, Ross said it. Ravo Hasek's not playing this week. He's out. Upper body injury. Do we Absolutely. know what that is? Anybody know what that is? We saw him yesterday. He looked and go, fine. And we go, how's an upper body? Uh, you know, who, I, I, I don't, we have no idea. Yeah. I mean, he he didn't appear to be in obvious pain as he was walking in his slides right past Ross and I. So I asked him how his upper body injury was, and he just kind of, you know, grunted at us and, like, you know, waved us off, even though we love Ray Hasek. But um, Ray Hasek's not playing against Duke. And like that's what I'm saying. Like the way they, the way it happened against Miami, I, I just, I, I think that's the template you get. Uh, aside from Noah Taylor, Noah Taylor played like 78 of the 80 snaps. 
You know, everyone else was like in the 40s range. And, you know, Keyshawn Silver got in there for 15. Uh, Travis Shaw got in there for about the same number. You know, like, why not? You know, that's your deepest position. Uh, there's talent there. Uh, there's young talent there. Why not get those guys in? And, and, and as Ross alluded to, you know, Max said it, you know, the, the, the idea of positive reinforcement. You know, you just get a guy in there like Keyshawn Silver and he contributes on the goal line. Jacoby Cowan had a sack against Virginia Tech. And then, like Max said, you should, these guys show up to the meeting rooms the next day with a huge smile on their face. You know, like it helps your defense and it helps your enthusiasm. So, um, yeah, the humidity, man. Why? We've, we've heard a lot about it. <laughs> but, like, I just – I thought I, – I personally, not that they care what I think, I like the way they used all those defensive linemen. I think – why not do more of it, you know? Line changes like in hockey. Yeah, I think the guy like Keyshawn Silver comes in on certain situations, you know, third and short, fourth and short, run clear rundowns, um, and you bring in the the dime package on clear passing downs, which features, you know, um, Rucker as an interior defense lineman, Miles Murphy as an interior defense lineman, and then two rush ins, Chris Collins, Malachi Hamrick, or Noah Taylor, Malachi Hamrick. Cowan's in there too on that. Oh, yeah, package. maybe Cowan over and and yeah. and also on the defense line, I think some people are, are talking about it over here in the comments. But yeah, Miles Murphy hasn't been right since he sprained his ankle against Georgia State. You know, like he's been hobbled. Uh, he didn't play against Virginia Tech. Um, and I, you know, I think he got twenty some, twenty eight snaps at Miami, but uh, he hasn't been right. So so as Max said the other day, you sort of have arguably your two best defensive linemen aren't uh, fully available right now. Be honest, I thought Miles Murphy was done for the year the way it looked when, when he got hurt. John B., I'm going to let you handle the questions from here on out, brother. You got a couple more in the, in the yes. uh, queue there. This is from Andrew Young. He says, what happened to Kobe and Gavin Blackwell? Josh Downs and Antoine Green have been good. Uh, it's interesting because we just talked about how much they're rotating on the defensive line. Why not rotate more people in it at wide receiver? Has Longo or the players commented on that at all? Need another rant by Adam. I'm gonna go that way. I'm Look, I mean, out of the pay source though. This is a base. I mean, this is just simple. It's just the best players play. So yeah, they, I mean, they think Josh Downs and Green are the uh, better guys. They roll with them. Um, so, and you have, I mean, like running backs, receivers need to get lathered up. They don't need to be running eighty-yard fly patterns every play, but. If Josh Downs is your best guy, he's going to play the majority of the snaps. And that doesn't mean Kobe Pesor is any less of a player, but he's behind one of the best. Could they mix them up a little bit? Sure. I, I think they could They could let them play some more and, mm -hmm. and get them some touches. But you're going to take Josh Downs off the field? You're going to take Green off the field? Adam, what rant have you had? I, I miss – is that your uh, play everybody rant or something? I've like been this? getting picked on, which is fine. I've got a target on my back. I always have. It was the uh, night we did rants, Tommy, and we all had the rant, and Adam ranted about Kobe Pace. Or oh, yeah, that's right. The reason I did it, as Ross has heard me say a million times now, was I knew that Tommy and Ross were going to go there on something hardcore about the state of the program. and <laughs> I just didn't want to keep be so repetitive. I didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you want me to I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't know what to say. But, hey, hey, I was thinking about with the, the Pace and, and Gavin Blackwell, you know, J.J. Jones is coming on. Um, yeah, they're all good. good. They're all good. They're all great. Let yeah. me ask you a question: Who has the second most catches on the team? Uh, Bryson Nesbitt would be my guess. That would be false. Kobe Pesor, oh. sixteen. 
Josh Downs, 28, pace for 16, Nesbitt and Morales at 15, and then J.J. Jones. I, I think uh, pace for did his job at App State, 100%. That's what they talk about. Next man up, do your job. He did it, um, and he's going to get plenty of opportunities. Yeah, you know he's going to be a starter next year at, at slot. It's going to be Kobe Pesor. Yep. What you got left, John? It's time for the Adams – prediction out of the blue segment this question is from jack do you think this will be an old school unc duke nail nail biter or can unc blow them out man i hadn't even thought about a prediction but i'm gonna make one right here off off the top of my bald head it's gonna be unc 34 duke 20 uh on saturday night at wallace wade stadium it's a unc win by two scores two touchdown win 34 20 for the tar heels going to six and one Overall, three and zero in the ACC. I, uh, any elaboration? How's it happen? Turnovers on defense. Does Riley Leonard go nuts and the bend don't break? Does I mean, work? look, to, not to. I don't want to dodge Jack's question. I mean, this is Carolina football we're talking about here. It very well could and might be a nail biter. They're all nail biters, aren't they? I mean, other than the Virginia Tech game. I mean, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see under the lights of Wallace Wade Stadium. Are they really going to have a sellout over there? Do we think that? I think there'll be a lot of Carolina blue. I was going to ask Tommy, you going, Tommy? Yeah, we'll be there. Think there'll be more Carolina blue than Duke blue. Um, yeah, it's going to be similar to when Alabama played over there. I think um, they sold out season tickets that season because Alabama fans could buy a season ticket to Duke to get that one game for cheaper than they could buy one game ticket to Alabama. And I don't First, know if y'all went around Duke. There was more oh, yeah. Alabama people in Durham that weekend than there's ever been ever. Well, I think it was Wednesday, Tommy. They had those Winnebago's up there in the middle of the week. Absolutely, they rolled up and parked it, and uh, yeah. So I, I think there'll be. It would not surprise me though if it was about half and half. Um, but I think it'll be a good crowd. I love going over there and watching the game. I, I don't understand the hate. You know, I don't judge stadiums based on the toilets, and a lot of people seem to pick on those. If you're going to say that, and Keenan Stadium's had their share of toilet issues, but I think it'll be a fun time. Ross, we never ask you for predictions like on this. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think UNC wins. I'm looking up Duke football right now to see what kind of scores they've been scoring. Um, yeah, I think UNC wins. I think you know. Maybe that's something like a, a 35, 38, 35 to, you know, 28, 30 kind of range, or 24, 28. I think UNC can score on them. Look, Northwestern put up 23. A&T put up 20. Kansas put up 35. Uh, Virginia put up 16. Georgia Tech put up 23. So I think UNC can certainly move the ball on Duke. So I'll go, I'll go UNC 38, Duke 28. How about that? UNC covers. Interesting. And, and so here's going to be the over-under for our listeners. We'll talk about this next Tuesday. Jeff says, no way it's half and half. I think it's 70 to 30 Carolina Duke fans in there. I think you're going to be a little bit surprised. Um, I say half and half. Um, we'll see. As far as score, I'll save mine. John, though, you, you're not saving yours. Give me a score prediction on yours, buddy. I have it at 40 to 21. I think this is a game where UNC continues to take steps forward on defense. Uh, it's also important to remember Duke's had a good start to the season, but before the season started, this was one of those games that was an automatic UNC pick. All eight of the inside Carolina experts picked UNC, so I think that should be pretty safe 
for North Carolina, but you never know. That's why they that's why they play the games. Mm-hmm. Is it a 2016 up 14 nothing in the first five minutes and lose, or is it a uh, Carolina blue chrome helmet game where that was a blowout and Marquise Williams went nuts? I, I don't know. We'll talk about it Thursday. Anything left, boys? I do have a quick rant. Producer Uh-oh. John has a rant. I, I, it's more of a shout-out. Shout We're halfway through the UNC football season. UNC special teams has been very good. So I wanted to shout-out three special teams players who I think have been very solid in their special team roles. Obi Ibunya, the backup cornerback, has been very good. He's second on the team in special team snaps. Uh, Elijah Green, who we mentioned earlier in the show, he's a kid who could have transferred. But he's played a lot of special team snaps for UNC, and he has one of the highest PFF grades in special teams. And then Malik McGowan, a reserve offensive lineman, he mans the punt unit. I don't know exactly what it's called, the football position, but he is the leader of the punt unit. UNC has been very good at punting. So three shout-outs there from producer John for the UNC special teams unit. I believe that's the punt shield, is it not? Yeah, They got named, uh, UNC named them the special teams players of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they the three guys. Uh, Copenhaver, I think, is one of those guys too on the all, shield. Yeah, all time. Interesting, interesting. It's been on to be live. So we done, we done, boys. It's good. I'm good. Shout out to the hardcore 300 that have been with us. That's nice. Yep, and, and let's talk a little bit about the schedule. Everybody wants to know the schedule. So tomorrow, Scoop Pod with Ross and Don Callahan will drop, I guess, in the morning. Um, already recorded, already in the uh, hopper. It'll be out Thursday, game plan with Jason Staples, Greg Barnes, and myself. Friday, Vipolis. And I don't know if any of this crowd is in here, but I did the day after live, just on a whim, at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. And 150 of you guys showed up. So I don't know if we've got some hardcore fans or y'all really don't have anything else to do on a Sunday. But we might be doing that at 8 o'clock live on Sunday mornings. Uh, Join us there. Ross Martin. Adam Smith got you covered for Carolina coverage. Check out all the YouTubes, all the content on Inside Carolina. John B. knocking out YouTube stuff. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It's been On the Beat Live. Johnny T-Shirt, Blue Shark, all that good stuff. We'll see you later in the week at InsideCarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in to Call on the Shots, presented by Blue Shark Vodka, the smoothest vodka in the world. We are here on Monday morning with Jeff Schottmer and a special guest, Ryan Switzer. What's up, Ryan? What's up, man? <laughs> Switz, uh, what's up, bro? Big dog. What's going on? There we go. UNC is 5-1. and one. 
after the 27-24 win at Miami. Um, UNC, it was a close game, came out of the end. John J. Boykins' interception seals the game. UNC's 5-1 and one going into an away game at Duke this Saturday, then the bye week, and then Pitt. We have special guest Ryan. I just want to kind of introduce Ryan here. Of course, Ryan, uh, four-year player at UNC, wide receiver, punt returner, uh, set some records in the in receiving game. What's going on with you, man? How are you? I'm doing well, man. Just uh, playing a lot of golf, watching a lot of football. So enjoying myself, enjoying this uh, downtime. How is it like being kind of a fan now? I mean, I know you've been a fan since you left UNC, but just kind of being able to watch the games and completely enjoy the experience. Uh, it's super frustrating. Super frustrating. You have zero control over the outcome. Uh, I will say when there's not uh, any alliance or allegiance, I should say, and um, anybody that I'm particularly rooting for, it's a lot easier to kind of sit back and be a fan of the game. But especially when those those targets are on, man, um, that blood pressure gets up pretty quick. Yeah, I love when former players uh, begin to live tweet games. I've been calling that like ever since I covered the team. Like you kind of see fan uh, foreign players start tweeting, man. You see that, you see that motion. Jeff, I let them rip. I know. I love it. I love it. You see it in basketball too. Jeff, what's your perspective now being a fan after after this is your first season, not not working for UNC? Yeah, I mean, I said it in the opening podcast. It switch hit it on the head. Your blood pressure is boiling. You know, you you may need to drink an extra couple adult beverages because it's stressful, uh, but. It's fun. You know, I love I love seeing the guys and because, you know, I, I grew very close with these guys because I coached coach them for the last four years. So it's it's fun to uh, see them succeed. Um, but it's it's stressful. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the show here. We have a lot to talk about. I mean, look, UNC's five and one and big wins now over Virginia and Miami. And look, they may not be the best teams, but that was a big win in Miami. It was on the road. Uh, it came down to the last minute. We're going to get into complimentary football. You know, both sides of the ball made plays to help win the game. Let's go to Jeff for kind of his initial takeaways to kick the show off. I mean, first things first, we, we took care of business down, you know, on the road versus, you know, a, a top 10 preseason ranked Miami team. And I know they haven't had the season that they expected, but look, we just got to keep winning each game on our schedule. And it, it, it came down to this, and we've been talking about it all year. Drake's mobility, you know, um, Josh Downs' ability, and then the timely plays from the defense finally. You know, that, that's how we won this game, and, and we'll get more into it later. But our offense and defense really complemented each other well for the first time, I think, this year, and, and we'll expand on that later. Ryan, what are your initial takeaways from this game? Uh, well, my initial takeaways really from the last two weeks would have been just the progression that we seem to be having as a, as a whole, you know, not just from a defensive standpoint. Uh, but I think the offense um, has certainly continued to get better. Um, these coastal games, man, these division games, especially on the road, it, it really – you throw records out the window when it comes to that because there's so much um, familiarity that goes on between the teams um, from systems to kind of tendencies from the from the coordinators and what they want to call and, and what looks you're going to see from an offensive standpoint. So uh, I was super impressed, honestly. Um, at the way our guys came out, there was a lot of phases in that game where, you know, it looked like we were going to run away with it. Then it looked like Miami might come back and it, you know, we kind of held on. So I thought there was some, some adversity moments that we handled really well, especially from a quote unquote young team. So, um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I came out of Saturday feeling 
pretty good about where we're at as a whole. What do you think about um, the play from Drake May? I, I guess it's probably his worst game he's had so far. Two interceptions, and obviously <laughs> you've watched a lot of him play. What do you think about how he handled that adversity um, down there in Miami? Yeah, I think this was kind of like the first time. I mean, Notre Dame maybe a little bit, but I think this was really the first time where um, he kind of saw some of that, right? And, um, you know, I uh, Drake has been an interesting cat to watch, man, because you look at him as a redshirt freshman, and he just doesn't act like it. And, you know, it's cliche, but the kid just looks – and Max talked about it, but we don't really – Max around him every day, so we don't really get to see it. You know, we just get to see the, the, the product on Saturday. But, man, the kid just is so composed, and it doesn't look like much phases him. Uh, it's almost like he's too young. He, so what he doesn't know, he just doesn't know yet. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's almost at, at that point where he's a redshirt freshman, and he just hasn't been um, – you know, under that fire. But when that came on Saturday, man, I thought he handled it phenomenally well. Um, there was a lot of other components throughout the game uh, that that allowed him to do do so. But um, Drake has been um, everything and more, man. Honestly, I remember the, the FAMU game, just watching him and take the opponent away from it, just his arm mechanics and the way that he was able to spin the ball and sit in the pocket. I saw a lot of things. And I think I tweeted it like, this kid might be for real. So uh, he's been everything and more the first six weeks. Definitely check out Ryan's Twitter during the games to get perspective on, on certain <laughs> things. It's, it's very emotional and it's, it's some interesting <laughs> takes there. Drake May, 19 for 28 for 309 yards. So his worst game of the year, arguably 309 yards, still two touchdowns, two interceptions, completed 68% of his balls for a 169.8 uh, quarterback rating. Jeff, the defense for UNC, Miami – ran the ball for 23 sorry 41 yards total on 23 attempts that's 1.8 yards per carry that's including sacks uh and then only seven yards in the second half tyler van dyke was 42 for 57 for 496 yards three touchdowns the interception at the very end completed 74 percent of his balls for a 160.6 quarterback rating this was a, a a weird game for the defense because, like we've talked about, I know you made a big point with went on all of our socials about UNC being good at one thing. UNC stopped the run, but then Miami certainly passed the ball a lot. What's your perspective on how UNC's defense played? What stood out to you? And when the game is so lopsided on the numbers, what does that kind of mean for for how they performed? Yeah, I think you can look at this a few different ways. So the first thing is. Coach Chizik stresses scoring defense. That's the only stat that he cares about. We can give up 800 yards, but if you give up under 24 points, majority of the time with our offenses, we're going to win the game. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, is, you know, giving up seven points in the second half. So we went into halftime, made some adjustments, stressed some things, and, you know, we played well in the second half as well, despite how many yards we gave up. Another thing is we get four turnovers. We get an interception and we get a forced fumble, but the other two were the fourth down stop on the goal line and then the, uh, the another fourth down stop at midfield when DeAndre Boykins had a sack. So as defensive coaches, we look at turnover and downs as a turnover. So when we, we go on the road and get four turnovers, we, we held them to under 50 yards rushing. We gave up seven points in the second half in 24 overall. You know, if, if we can continue to do that and, and build off that, we're going we're gonna to win a lot of games and we'll be playing in the ACC championship. 
you know, it, it was timely defense from our guys. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of them, you, despite how many passing yards we did give up. Yeah, what do you think they did differently uh, on run defense to, to to make them just start passing the ball? They couldn't run the ball. I mean, you heard Cedric Gray talk about in the post game like they couldn't run the ball on UNC. They only ran the ball seven times in the second half. So, what did you see on tape from the defensive line from the linebackers that that was different in this game? I think it was two things. I think it was our defensive line playing with with better fundamentals and pad level. You know, we were we've recruited very well at that position, and they're they're big bodies, and we got a lot of guys we can throw in there. So it starts with the D line and, and, and the two linebackers we got, they're they're great players, right? They they they're smart, they can read and react, they fit, they fit the gap scheme plays up well, and they feed off each other. You know, power and Cedric are competitive as hell. And when one makes a tackle, the, the other one's trying to make a tackle the next play. You know, they both end up with eleven plus tackles and, and they're feeding off each other. And, and like I said, the D line is doing a great job of keeping them free and and uh, letting them roam. Yeah, and we're going to talk about this more a little bit later in the show, the complimentary football. But that fourth uh, was the goal line stand. You know, the fourth and one is third and one, fourth and one. That was huge for momentum. And then to, to – I mean, and I think it's huge for just, like, confidence. Like, to see – to get to the goal line, come in, bring all those different guys, and they ran all – they were this jumbo package where they had, like, six defensive linemen in. To get that stop has to be huge. What does that do for a, a defense's confidence to, to be on the goal line and make two or three stops to get the ball back? Look, that's the bend, don't break defense that, that Coach Chizik is known for, right? They, they drove the length of the field. We get down. They have first and goal from the two-yard line. Yeah. The, any offense will tell you that they expect 99% of the time to get seven points out of that drive. When, when we can make, you know, three straight stops and then, and then they, they throw the ball on fourth down and we have everyone covered, I mean, that's huge for the morale of the defense, but it's, it's also demoralizing for the Miami offense. If they know they can't get two yards in four plays, you know, that that's not good. And that shows, you know, our ability to stop the run there because our, our D-line was playing pad under pad. They were knocking people back and our linebackers were filling, filling alleys. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it was, you know, very impressive for us. Including the jack position, which is like the rush defensive end. UNC played 12 defensive linemen uh, across that game. Like Noah, Noah Taylor played 78 snaps, but after that, no one played more than 43 snaps. So UNC is finally rotating in all these different defensive linemen. You had Travis Shaw get seven snaps. You know, Miles Murphy is a little banged up. They did not have Rafe Hasek, which was an interesting wrinkle. You know, found that out in game time. You wanted UNC's best defensive linemen didn't play. The defensive line, I mean, still stepped up. Ryan, any takeaways from you on the defense? What, you, what have you seen over the last couple of games? What stands out to you about this group? They, like you said, they've progressively gotten better on that side of the ball. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think the last – I mean, Jeff hit it on the head. I think that the last two weeks, what we weren't doing at the, at the beginning of the season was making the timely plays, and, and especially against Miami on Saturday. Our defense made the timely plays um, really to help win the game. I mean, you look at Van Dyke, and, and he, has, he throws for 500 yards, and, and typically when a quarterback throws for 500 yards, I don't know what the statistic is, but I'd be interested to see, you know, how many times – they actually lose that game. Um, but when you dive deep and to see why that happened, it was the timely plays, man. It was what Jeff talked about. It was the the two fourth down stops. Um, it was the the interception and, and the fumble recovery. Um, and usually with 500, 500 yards passing, you're thinking that quarterback threw for five, six touchdowns. Um, you start getting into Pat Mahomes numbers. But we held him, you know, I think it was 24 points or, or whatever it was uh, because of the, the, the turnover. So, um, I think the guys are starting to play with more confidence. Um, 
you know, the, the game now is so offensive um, yeah. friendly. Defense has never been harder. It's never been harder to play in the secondary. Um, and these guys are, are battling. You got to realize they're, they're, they're playing with a new DC um, that they're still getting comfortable with. They're playing with a new uh, secondary coach that they're still getting comfortable with as well. But I think the thing that's encouraging to see, especially as a fan now, is the progression, um, you know, from where we began. Even the, the week one or week zero against FAMU, you could tell that, that they necessarily weren't very uh, confident or, or whatnot in the system yet. So the last two weeks is, have definitely been um, encouraging to see from a fan perspective just how well the guys are playing and flying around. Now, you still like to see some things um, – you know, improves, whether it be tackling, whether it be angles after the ball is caught, whether it be playing with a little more, a little better vision in their zone coverages. Um, there's some things that, that can be cleaned up. But um, I think with the 12-game season, as long as you're seeing that progression, like as long as the trend is going up, which it has been, uh, is a very encouraging sign. And it's, um, it's, a, uh, it's, a testament, it's a testament to the coaching that we have and, and, and how they are working with the guys week in and week out. So I'm excited to see how this defense continues to trend up. Yeah. I mean, the two wins, Virginia tech and uh, Miami, you, you saw the defense play better. Now disregard how good those teams are. Who knows? I, I think Virginia tech will end up being one of the worst teams in the ACC. You know, Miami maybe middle of the road. Um, they could probably, it, it's, they have some talent there, but to see them go into those games, get the win, play better, you know, play better against Virginia Tech, hold them scoreless in the second half, hold Miami to what, seven points in the second half, and the run def defense improving is definitely a strong point. Let's talk about complimentary football, Jeff. I know you want to kind of go off on this. Um, so the defense make plays, so the offense make plays. The floor is yours. Yeah, I, I think this is the first game in a few years where our offense and defense truly complemented each other. And, and I'll give you a, ser a series of sequences and, and drives that, that, that show it. So the first one I want to talk about is um, the defense, which we alluded to earlier, when we get the fourth down and goal stop, right? That's huge momentum swing right there. Miami's, you know, they show they can't punch the ball in and we stop them, right? So our offense gets the ball at the one-yard line. What do we do? We go 99 yards to score. That's a 14-point swing, right? Instead of Miami punching it in, now we stop them, and now we go down and score. That's a huge momentum shift in the game. Uh, the second one is – you know, coming out of halftime, Drake throws an interception, and that was probably his, his worst throw of the year. You know, he, he was – they were in one high. The post safety was reading his eyes the whole way, and, you know, he threw the ball late, and post safety made a good play. But but what does the defense do? They get a sudden change, right? They're sitting on the bench. They got to – yeah, they got to go out there and get a stop. And, and what do they do? They get a stop. Miami punts the ball back to us. And then the third sequence I want to talk about is – Late in the fourth quarter – no, this is early in the fourth quarter, I guess. Cedric Gray forces a fumble as Miami's driving down the field to, to in our red zone, right? He punches the ball out, and we get the ball back on offense, and we take eight minutes off the clock, and we, we end up with a field goal to go up 10 with, with four minutes to go in the game. So, so each of those sequences, our defense or offense did something, and the other one counter, counteracted on it. And, and that's winning football right there. With that Cedric Gray play, he got those. It was fourth and one, I think, yep. and he got the first down clearly. Yep. And then Cedric Gray goes in for the tackle, forces the fumble. Giovanni Biggers recovers. That was huge because Miami was driving. They were driving to score. They were in the red zone there right before the 
the forced fumble. That was big. Um, before we move on, I want to talk about Blue Shark Vodka. Jeff, you ever had Blue Shark Vodka? Ryan, Blue I, Shark Vodka. I still haven't had it. Hey, I'm, I'm going to need some of that to watch these heels. That's, that's, right. that's what I need. <laughs> uh, Blue Shark Vodka, our guy Connor Barth in Wrightsville has an ownership stake in the company, the smoothest vodka in the world, based out of Wrightsville Beach. Uses sweet Carolina corn, mellowed for like 28 days, smooth. It's accessible price point. Uh, you can find it in any, uh, not any, but every county in North Carolina, all 100 counties, Blue Shark Vodka. Get it for the tailgate. Get it for the holidays. Uh, Blue Shark Vodka, we appreciate their support of these podcasts. They're an independent, privately owned company, just like us, local. Um, so Blue Shark Vodka, shout them out. Follow them on Instagram. Go to their website. Check out their deal. They're expanding. They're opening um, or they're, they're distributing to South Carolina, I think Vegas, San Diego, Blue Shark Vodka. We appreciate their support of Inside Carolina and calling the shots. Blue Shark Vodka, the smoothest vodka in the world. If you do use it at Tailgate, Hit me up on Twitter. I'll retweet you if you're drinking some Blue Shark Vodka. All right, Switzer, you're a wide receiver. You're one of the best wide receivers UNC's ever seen. And I think one of the best – Sorry, that still sounds weird, man. One of the, <laughs> one of my favorite tweets uh, – I mean, I ha- so I have this feed on my tweet deck. It's all like former players and coaches. Just so if I see anything that you – know, I have Marquise Williams is in it. You're in it, Jeff, Ryan. It's just a thing I use for work where if, you know, if somebody says something – wild or interesting i can retweet it or i can put it into a story or whatever so i saw your tweet about unc's offense and someone said uh you were tweeting you said phil longo has been in a groove all season he's on fire and someone responded and said i know y'all set all kinds of records but what he could have done with you would have been crazy and ryan goes i would have had 400 catches in my career (laughs) and we were like dang that's a lot I know you're kind of exaggerating, but I want you to kind of speak on Longo's offense and what you've seen from it and how quarterback and wide receiver friendly it is. Yeah, and like yeah. what you could have done it and what you like about what it does. Because it's been it's been very good now for four seasons, two different quarterbacks, and it's a, it's so wide receiver tight end friendly. Yeah, no, I actually wasn't exaggerating. I would have had 100 per year. Like, there's zero <laughs> question. Uh, but, you know, man, when I was up there, I was up there January, February, a little bit of March rehabbing from my ankle surgery, trying to get back. And uh, I was able to kind of self-scout these guys a little bit and and watch watch tape and, and whatnot and kind of see just who who we exactly were as an offense. And, um, you know, the more I got familiar with with what we were running, what Coach Longo was asking from his receivers, from his tight ends, from his skill, um, the more that I loved it, honestly. Uh, I think you've, what you've seen in the past two years has been a a system that is clicking, really, since he's gotten here. Um, but I think what you're seeing now is the, the ability to call a game without – I mean, I can't remember the last time I, I had a head scratcher or I scratched my head from one of one of his one of his calls. Uh, I think he's in like I like I tweeted. I think he's in such a groove. And when as a play caller, when you get in to that feeling, when you get into that mode, you know, I don't I don't play video games, but I would imagine it really would be like playing Madden and pl- just beating up on your buddy and and him throwing everything he's he's got at you from you know cover two, cover four, whatever you want to run and just not being able to stop you. It really, it really feels, you know, outside looking in that, you know, that's kind of what's going on with, with Longo. Um, 
I think the thing that I appreciate the most is not the freedom that he gives the receivers, um, but the trust that he has. And what I mean by that is these guys have a lot of post-snap reads um, in, in terms of what he's asking them to do in their routes. And in order for you to be able to do that as a receiver, especially at the college level, man, is you got to be, you got to be on your, on your, your screws when it comes to, okay, what is this, what am I, what am I going to be seeing as a, as a receiver this week in terms of, you know, secondary coverages. So that means you got to be in the film room uh, and then you got to have eyes on your feet. And what I mean by that is you can get a pre-snap look and, at, at the snap of the ball, obviously, post-snap, it changes, right? And so when I say you have to have eyes on your feet, um, you got to be able to read the stuff on the run. And you got to be able to read rotation. You got to be able to read, okay, what's this corner doing? Is he squatting? Is he bailing? And is he playing bump and run? And because what Longo's asking these kids to do is, is to make an adjustment on their route based on what they're seeing post-snap. Uh, and that takes a lot of trust in the kids and that takes a lot of um, maturity as a route runner and as a receiver to be able to do. So um, I think you just see it from, you know, that standpoint of, OK, Longo's in a groove. He's got such a great feel for what he wants to do. He knows what he's going to see from that defensive coordinator. He knows that guy's tendencies. He knows, OK, on third and short, third and medium, I'm getting this look. Bam, I already know what I'm going to. Uh, and then. You got to give the kids a lot of credit too, man, because we had, um, you know, we missed Tuan for, for the, the majority of the beginning of the season. And then obviously with JD being out a couple games, those young guys um, kind of step, stepped up and came in and, and we really didn't miss a beat. Um, so I think the kids deserve a lot of credit from, from you know, the work that they've, they've put in and, and really mastering that system. Um, so I, I, I um, Super, super impressed with what I've seen so far out of the offense. And um, it looks like a plug and play system. I know people are going to say that. Like, it looks like, hey, man, we can plug anybody in. And, and But that's really not the case, man. There's so much that's going on behind the scenes with, with the amount of work that and preparation that these guys are putting in. So um, it's been it's been a blast to watch. Yeah, yeah. And Jeff, hop in here if you have any questions, too. But when you say it, reading, you know, reading the cornerback or reading the safety, can you kind of go a little more depth on the kind of what's going through a wide receiver's mind when he's set up against a cornerback and sees a coverage and how he shifts or changes depending on the, the coverage post snap? Because I think our listeners would kind of appreciate kind of what, what that's like for a receiver. Yeah, it's different between the slot and, and the outside wide receiver. Obviously, I would say the slot has a little bit more um, of a challenge when it comes to um, reading those post snap um, defenses and what they're doing, he's got he's got a lot of maneuver a lot of a lot more defenders. He's got to worry about the nickel. He's got to worry about the safety over top. He's got to worry about that backside safety more than op, more than outside receivers because a lot of times that that backside safety won't get to won't get to those outside guys. He's got to worry about linebackers. Uh, but really, what I mean is. Uh, not not every not every play, but um, there's a lot of plays in the in the the offenses nowadays where the receivers are given two, sometimes three routes to run, depending on what coverage they're getting. And the reason for that is is because you don't, you know, you may you, as an offense or an offensive coordinator, you may call something um, because you see 
a look at the line of scrimmage, like, okay, this, this play is, is for this particular look, but you know, those defensive coaches, um, they get paid too now. Like they, they're not just going to always show you what they're going to run pre-snap. So, you know, they may show one thing, they may show that safety down, they may show a cover one robber look and then at the snap of the ball, that safeties, those safeties flies off the hash and next thing you know, it becomes cover two. So what that offense is doing by giving these receivers options is, is just trying not to get jammed up, right? They're trying to give their guy, um, they're trying to give their guy a way to win, right? So I think the best example I could, I could give you is I saw it this weekend. I saw, I was watching the Pittsburgh and uh, Buffalo game and George Pickens has the route on the outside. He's got a they call it an Omaha. He's got a five-yard out route. Uh, he's thinking it's man coverage, but at the, the snap of the ball, the corner squats and that safety in the NFL, they do a magnificent job of that. That safety was all the way in the middle of the field. He screamed off of that hash to try to get to the numbers. It ended up being covered too. And Pickett saw it, but um, uh, George didn't. He ended up sticking with his Omaha route and the quarterback threw the, the, the deep fade, which is what that would have converted to. So, um, it just gives the receivers an ability to kind of um, not get jammed up and to still have a, have a potential to win. And in this, in this system, um, you really gotta be, you gotta be alert uh, to what you're seeing, man. You can't just, you can't just be out there being a robot and, and running it because that's what the play was called. You gotta make sure you're, you're alert to what the coverage is. And um, because when you are, and I think Josh does a great, great, great job of this. And sometimes, sometimes it bites him. Um, I think a couple of times it did on uh, on Saturday. One specific one was the uh, I think it was the fourth and four. Fourth down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a miscommunication on a choice route that he had in the boundary. Uh, Drake read it one way and Josh read it another. But yep. Josh has done a great job throughout his career of of connecting on these um, these routes where he's got the potential to do one thing or do another based on coverage. So. Uh, been impressed with that, but it's it's a uh, it's certainly a wide receiver friendly system when it comes to that. And, and quickly here, I think a lot of people compare Josh Downs to you because he broke both your records last year. What's so special about him, and, and how is he different from you? Like, I think people will be saying, "Man, who's you know Josh, Josh and the Switzer? Like, they're very similar, plays the same position. What, what do you like from him? What's he do that makes him so special?" Well, he, I mean, he's different from me because he's he's an athletic freak, man. Like, I I wasn't I wasn't gifted with a lot of the, the abilities that JD has. Um, I mean, he, from, from, you know, the time he stepped on campus, you know, he was just able to compete, you know, at a different level than I was. Um, I think as a receiver, he's just, he's, he's, you know, at least from, from my standpoint, he's been, he's different. He's completely, you know, more polished than I was. It, Jeff could tell you, it took me a long time when I was at Carolina to get going as a receiver. Like I, I played running back my, my whole life and coming in, I knew I was going to be a receiver, but it was so much more of a challenge than I could have ever anticipated switching that position, especially at the collegiate level. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to contribute on special teams with the punt returns, which enabled me to kind of get more reps um, as a receiver as the year went on. And I eventually worked my way into becoming a pretty good receiver. Uh, Josh has, has, has had it, you know, since he's gotten here. Uh, you know, he, he didn't see a lot of time as a freshman because the guys that were in front of him. But when he got this chance in the Orange Bowl, he really shined. And then obviously last year, um, I when last year was really the first time I got to see and watch um, from a game to game standpoint on on who he was. And man, I was just blown away by by his level of 
maturity as a route runner, as a receiver, and, and just how smooth he looked at such a young age. So um, he, he'll he tell you he's he, he's benefited from some pretty uh, outrageous target share numbers. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't think I would have ever uh, seen that many, especially with the guys that I was playing with. Um, but he's made the most out of it, man. And I'm super excited for what the future holds for him and everything that he's going to be able to accomplish. Jeff, before we go to players of the game, anything else you want to touch on about UNC right now? We're going to obviously talk about Caleb Hood in a bit. Um, I think on defense, you want to touch on it stood out to you. I, think, I thought they, they blitzed a little more. I thought they brought a little more pressure in this game. I don't know if you saw that on tape or anything you want to add on that. Yeah, they, they, no, they definitely did. I mean, you saw the the one fourth down stop we got uh, at midfield where Boykins got the sack. You know, that, that was a great pressure call by Coach Chizik. They came out in a condensed set. And we showed a man look. So DeAndre Boykins is lined up on the slot looking like he's showing man. And we run a pressure where he's coming off the edge. And it's such a short distance from the from the nickel slot when the, when the, when the formation is condensed. And it was just a great time and a great call. Um, one guy that I think stood out to me was, was Dev, Des Evans. Um, he, I think he made some plays in the run game. You saw him have a big TFL in the, in the second half, but – he was physical as hell with the offensive lineman. And, and the one thing you'll never question about Des Evans is, is how hard he plays. You know, he's, you see him consistently, you know, when he's the, the other defensive end, they're running away and he's, he's hustling to the ball and, you know, he may tackle it eight yards down the field, but it's a play that would, you know, pop for 25 if Des isn't chasing his ass off to the ball. Yeah. One thing I noticed about him, and this is kind of what you, what you see fans wanted. He was a, you know, really high four-star, almost a borderline five-star kid. He is so quick with small movements and initial bursts off the ball where he could be on the other side of the field but still go and cover and make a TFL. I've just noticed him, just the athleticism starting to show. I think it's because he's playing with a, a little more freedom. He's not thinking as much as a junior, a true junior. He, he's really popping. And, and him and Cayman Rucker, I think, the, the two ends that kind of split time. Cayman Rucker, it seems like on every big play, he's the guy who pressures the quarterback. You know, he's undersized, maybe 6'1", 6'2", doesn't have that 6'5", that 6'6", six, six, six length. But he is strong, and he, it seems like he's always in on the big plays there. So that's what I noticed as well. All right, players of the game. <laughs> players of the game, presented by Blue Shark, Vodka, smoothest vodka in the world. Get another plug in there. Offense, and you can jump in here too, Ryan, if you have a guy that stood out to you. We'll go to Jeff for his first player of the game on offense. Yeah, I'm going to go with Caleb Hood. He, he really impressed me, and this was his best game as a Tar Heel. You know, the first play or the first drive of the game, it's third and one, and we hand the ball off to Caleb. Miami's got an unblocked defender, arguably their best player, the big 6'4 safety. And he hits he hits Caleb in the hole, and Caleb runs through contact and gets three or four more yards, and and, and that kind of set the tone for the game. But I think his his vision in this game, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, his ability to run through arm tackles – you know, he, he was a difference maker in this game. And if you look at the best running backs nowadays in college and in the NFL, they're dual threat. They're able to they're able to run and they're able to, you know, help in the pass game. And, and that's exactly what Caleb did. Yeah, he's he's emerging as like the guy, it seems. He had 13 carries for 74 yards, uh, 5.7 yards per carry. It seemed like he was in the most. You know, Amarin Hampton had more carries, 15, yard, 15 carries for 36 yards. It's not as productive. You'd like to see a little bit more from Amarion. But, I, th um, I think you're. I think you're starting to see kind of a trend of 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 who Longo and the offensive staff is is kind of going to. That you know, Caleb and a, a 
Hamp are kind of built the same, kind of have similar running styles. Um, so I think, you know, especially the last two weeks with those guys kind of getting the bulk of, of the carries, they're starting to see kind of a pattern with that. Yeah, I'd love to see a little more from Hampton. It seems like he is just, you know, we know he's athletic, we know he's fast, but he's just, he's not as productive per carry in terms of just like making that one guy miss. He's still a young buck, man. Still yeah. a young buck. He, he's talented, though. Yeah. How about how about Switzer with the nicknames for everybody? JD, Twan. What'd you call Hampton? You just called him Hamp? Man, listen, <laughs> I, I told you I was around those guys for, I know. for 10 weeks, man. They, they felt like my little brothers, man. I, I, uh, that's why it's been fun watching them, man. Just being able to really know those guys on a personal level, uh, it's been uh, it's been fun. Were you there during most of spring practice? No, nah, it was right before spring practice. Yeah. Spring practice, I was I was going through a bunch of my workouts and whatnot. I, I, I think I went to a couple. Uh, I got to give my my player of the game, and this is gonna be this is gonna be funny because I don't think I ever would have said this if I was playing. But I think you got to give it to the offensive line, honestly, as a whole. Um, and I say that because Miami Miami was coming into the game. I think they had one of the top fronts in the country, um, regardless of, of what their record was. Miami had one of the top fronts in the country. And not just on Saturday, man. I think their offensive line play throughout the season has been phenomenal. I think you got to give a lot of credit to that new, new O-line coach and what he's been able to do. And I think the biggest thing that they've eliminated is that they've eliminated the bonehead mistakes. They've eliminated, eliminated the busted protections, you know, letting a guy, you know, I can't, I mean, how many times did we see last year guys just coming scot-free at Sam um, just with a clean shot on them? And I think what they've eliminated is that. And these guys up front are seeing the uh, the fronts well. They're seeing the potential blitz as well. And on Saturday, man, Drake got, Drake got hit a couple times. But I thought the way they were able to manage that pocket for him and then, you know, what Jeff was saying with Caleb, the way he was able to run the ball, you know, I think we have 160 – some yards rushing and, and some of that came from Drake's timely, you know, QB draws. But for the majority of the part, man, those those runs were efficient runs and three, four, five yard runs where uh, that offensive line was getting movement and, um, you know, our backs were able to fall forward. So I, I think, you know, I thought that O-line played phenomenally on Saturday. Yeah, it did seem like they were running the ball and just kind of not getting those one and two yards, but at least getting like four and five, a little bit more mm -hmm. consistency in the run play. That's something Matt Brown and Longo talked about last week about you know, the, the, the negative runs, the one, two yards. You've got to have more consistency there. They did give up five sacks, looking at stats now, five sacks, nine TFLs. Um, pass protection has been better, and at, at times Drake – has had a lot of time in pockets there. He was definitely hurried at times uh, against Miami. Um, that that um, 18 play, you know, eight and a half minute drive. What we noticed in the press box is they were, you know, they're trying to burn the clock here. They're trying to you know, take the, you know, take it all the way to the end and then kick a field goal or punch it in. But they're snapping the ball with like 15 seconds left on the play clock, and you know, they weren't using the whole time to drain clock. Did y'all notice that? Or, or, why do you think they were doing that? If they're trying to drain clock, why not take the whole play clock? Go ahead, Jay. <laughs> Sorry, I was distracted. Why didn't they snap the ball at zero? Yeah, yeah. Like if they're trying to burn clock, why not take the whole play clock? They're snapping it like 15, 20 seconds. I don't know. I don't know if it's something Longer likes to do, which is kind of moving the ball. But if you're trying to drain clock, why not Why not take it all the way down to you know two or three? Yeah, I mean, that's something you'll probably ask in the press yeah. conference today. That'd be good. Um, but – I, I think I think uh, you know maybe that's longer style, but you know the fact that we were able to get consistent push and move the ball, you know, I, I think they were just like you know we're gonna we're gonna sustain this drive regardless. 
one thing that we haven't really talked about is, and I talked about it last week, is our gap scheme runs. If you watch in the game, when we're running counters and powers, we're very successful. And I'd love to, you know, go through and look at the breakdown of numbers, you know, our zone schemes versus our gap schemes. We kind of talked about the difference last week, but when our, we have some pretty athletic offensive linemen, when they're getting out and pulling and it shows our, our running backs ability to see, see the holes and see the cuts. And I think that's why Caleb hood had such a good game because when we're running gap scheme, he's got, he's got better vision than Hampton right now. Obviously he's a more mature player. He's a more veteran player. He's got more carries in his career. But his ability to let things unfold and have patience and, and cut off blocks was was why we were successful in the run game. And talk about position change, as Switcher said, you know, coming from a running back to a wide receiver. Uh, Hood was a quarterback in college. And so this is truly his only his second year as a as a full time running back. So he's still improving and getting adjusted to that position as well. OK, uh, defensive player of the game, Jeff. You know, I, I love Cedric Gay to death. I could give it to him every game. 14 tackles, a big force fumble. But um, I, I think he missed a few tackles and, and uh, you know, maybe wasn't as good in coverage this game. So I'm going to give it to DeAndre Boykins. You know, he had two game-changing plays. You know, I, I know the defensive staff raves about how physical he is, how tough he is, how, how much he competes. I mean, you can see that he plays with emotion. You know, that, that sack he had at midfield – you know, he gets up and he's fired up. And then that interception at the end of the game, he does the, you know, the you up, you down. And, uh, you know, I, I love how he plays. They, his nickname is the Bulldog, and, and that's how he plays. So uh, he, he brings an edge to our defense, so I'm going to give him that. Yeah, four tackles, one sack, the TFL, and one interception. Obviously, the game ceiling interception. I'll give it to Cedric Gray, 13 tackles, uh, two quarterback hurries, and, of course, the, the big forced fumble early in the fourth quarter. You know, he is becoming the leader of this team. We get to talk to him a bunch. We, we either get him after the game or on Tuesdays. And he is dude, he is way more mature than I'll ever be. I mean, he is a mature leader. You know, he wasn't a highly recruited guy either. I don't know if you all remember his recruitment at all. I mean, he's a Charlotte kid, had one Charlotte. power five, one power five offer from UNC, kind of just jumped on it, was a wide receiver in high school. And he's grown. He's about 6'2", 6'3", big. You know, rangy, and I mean, he's having. He's, I think, he's leading UNC in tackles and having a, a really great junior season as a leader. Jeff, anybody? Sorry, Ryan, anybody say out to you on defense? You want to shout out? Nah, man, I, I, uh, I'm an offensive guy, so I, all I, <laughs> all I get to do on the, on the defense is, is just complain and, and, and be happy. So I, I know, I mean, I thought they, like I said, I thought the last two weeks they've just been, um, they've just been improving and trending up and. I'm super honestly, I'd like to say this, man. I'm just super proud of those kids. You know, I'm I'm super proud of of how they've responded to the adversity that they they saw early in the season. Um, because that's not easy, man. It's not easy. And like I said, it's an offensive game and, and it's never been harder to play in that secondary. Um, yeah. I thought the def yeah, you know, I will say I thought the defensive line controlled the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, when it's when when you're playing these these quarterbacks and these offenses, you know, like in the NFL, like when, when we're playing Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or somebody, you know, especially when I was with my time in the Steelers, like Mike Tomlin's not coming in on Wednesday mornings and saying, all right, you know, safeties, corners, nickels, like, you know, we, we got to plaster these receivers. We got to be on these guys. No, like the first thing he says, he looks at that defensive line group and he goes, we got to pressure this guy. Got to keep him in the pocket. We got to make him uncomfortable. Got to get our hands up. We got to bat some balls down. And I think the defensive line, you know, 
this 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 guy threw 500 yards or whatever it was. But I think the defensive line for the majority of the game controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, and that's what they've got to continue to do. They've got to continue to give this secondary help because the longer that guy has sit there, uh, has more time to sit there in the pocket and throw, it becomes seven on seven. So that defensive line's got to continue um, to get pressure, to make these quarterbacks uncomfortable. And it honestly becomes complimentary football on the defensive side of the ball. And the best, uh, the best pass coverage, Jeff will tell you, is always a pass rush. And mm -hmm. uh, the more we can make these quarterbacks in the ACC uncomfortable, it's going to help this secondary. And the secondary will start to feed off it as well. Yeah, it's a huge confidence momentum game for UNC with the 27-24 win over Miami. All right, let's get out of here, guys, and close it up with kind of a look ahead. UNC is 5-1. and one. They play Duke. This, uh, this Saturday for the victory bell. UNC's had some success against Duke in recent years. New coach over there, Mike Elko, has them playing. They did lose to Georgia Tech in overtime uh, down in Atlanta on Saturday. Um, so there are, they are, what, four and two? Yeah, four, four and two. two. Yeah, with, uh, I think they're one and one in the ACC. Um, your thoughts on right now, where UNC sits right now at five and one with kind of a, you know, a lot of winnable games on the schedule. We'll start with Jeff. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what I predicted, you know, preseason. You know, I, I predicted we were going to lose another game, and I had us five and one at this point. So we're right on par with, with Jeff Schottmer's prediction. So I'm going to give myself a pat on the back there. But, you know, and we talked about this before the program, but th there's not another game on our schedule. You know, we, every game going forward, we should win the game. Obviously, there's some slip up and things happen, and you know, some some teams play better that day. Um, but every every game going forward, we should, you know, have a great chance to win the game. So that puts us in the ACC championship again, playing Clemson. And, yeah, you know, that, that's what I think every fan should expect us to do is, is be in Charlotte the first week of December playing Clemson. Yeah, the toughest games on the schedule, I mean, have to be Wake at Wake on November 12th and then at home versus NC State. Those are two Atlantic teams. So the Coastal's wide open and UNC's 2-0 at the top. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, thoughts, kind of what remains for UNC, what you're, what you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think it's time, man. I, I think it's time to, to put a run together. Um, I think we've got the pieces in play. I think the coaching staff is clicking. Um, like Jeff said, there's every game on the, the remainder of the schedule is winnable, uh, whether we're favored or not. And I think the guys feel that. Like the most important thing is I think the players feel that. Like what we're seeing – especially on Saturday, they're giving you a glimpse into how they're coming into games feeling. And they're coming into games feeling like, oh, you know, we should win. Like, especially early, when you see teams come out early and put it on you, that's a sign of, okay, these guys are ready. Like, these, that's, that's a sign of uh, kind of gives you a glimpse into what they're feeling. So um, I, I don't think we could honestly be in a better position than we're in right now. Uh, as long as we continue to see improvement. What we've seen the last couple of weeks has been phenomenal. And as long as we continue to see improvement week in and week out, this team's got a chance, man. But I think it's time. I think it's time. I think it's time to put one of those 11-1 and one seasons, 10-2 and two seasons together and, and get back to Charlotte. As, as Jeff drops his, his ear, your pod there. Um, yeah, Duke's left on the schedule, 5-1. and one. I mean, I think you're right. Like, the defense will get better. You would think, like, they're building on these games. They're a young defense. The talent is really young with a new coaching staff. Some confidence uh, games here as we get out of here. Uh, Calling the shots presented by Blue Shark Vodka. Guys, remember to rate, review, and subscribe 
on Inside Carolina's podcast feed. Subscribe to Inside Carolina on YouTube. This goes up right after we record on YouTube. And then the audio version uh, will be on the back of the On The Beat podcast. I want to thank Ryan Switzer for coming on. Special guest. Thoughts, Jeff? How did, how did Ryan do? He's got, a, he's got a future in it. If he doesn't get into coaching, he can, he can be an analyst as well. Yeah, very even, very even uh, tempered, a very mild mannered, kind of just just talks through it. No nerves, a classic, a classic pro there. So we appreciate Ryan. And <laughs> appreciate as always, it, guys. as always, uh, we want to thank Jeff for coming on. This is Calling the Shots, presented by Blue Shark Vodka. <laughs>